Daniel Barnett here. Enrolment for the 2025 Virtual Employment Law Academy is now open. Go to www.virtualemploymentlawacademy.com for more information. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody. Daniel Barnett here. Now, I'm recording this on uh, Monday, the 23rd of March. It's going out on Tuesday, the 24th of March, episode 39 on employment law changes coming into force in April 2020. But hold the press. I actually recorded this episode about two weeks ago, before coronavirus took off, before we had the current crisis. And I don't mention coronavirus once in this episode. So I'm going to let you listen to it. It's like a story from another time when everything was more innocent. But just a couple of things to bear in mind. The most important one is that I'm not dealing with all the laws that are coming in to deal with coronavirus. And the other really important point is I say in the recording that IR35 is coming into force on the 6th of April. It's not. The government has deferred the coming in of IR35 for medium and large companies. It's been in force for a while for public sector bodies. But the government's deferred the coming into force of IR35 for medium and large companies by a year. So when you hear me say in this podcast, it's coming into force in a couple of weeks, ignore it. It's not. Now, with the coronavirus crisis, I'm I'm doing podcasts once or twice a week dealing specifically with that and I hope they're of help to you just so you know this coming Thursday Thursday the 26th of March I'm doing a national broadcast for employment solicitors which you can uh, get information about by visiting bit.ly slash employment broadcast bit.ly slash employment broadcast and you can see details there if you're a member of the hr inner circle don't join that because uh, you'll have to pay we'll put the recording up for free in the hr inner circle members area of the website so uh, thank you for listening to this remember it was recorded about two weeks ago before coronavirus and before ir35 was deferred for a year Enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Employment Law Matters on the forthcoming changes due next week at the beginning of April 2020. In this episode, you'll learn about written particulars of employment, holiday pay, agency workers, IR35, shudder, and bereavement leave. I'll only touch on that one briefly because I'm going to do a full episode on bereavement leave next week. I'll also touch on proposals made by the government which haven't yet been enacted. Just before we start, a huge thank you to this person, Owen PW, who left the following review on the Apple Podcast Store. Engrossing and essential 10 minutes. These podcasts have really established themselves in my team's weekly digest. A great new addition to the HR knowledge pool. Long may they run. Thank you. And Owen PW, I think I know who you are and I think you know I know who you are. But just in case I'm wrong, send me please your name and address to podcast at danielbarnett.co.uk and we'll send you a copy of one of my books as a thank you. And now, coming employment law changes in April 2020. Welcome to Employment Law Matters with Barrister Daniel Barnett. With 10 years of conservative rule behind us, 
the government's made most of the fundamental changes to employment law that it wanted to make, except perhaps for introducing tribunal fees where it fell completely flat on its face. Although there are several changes happening in 2020, none fundamentally change the landscape for SMEs. Let's go through them. First of all, written particulars of employment. From April, all workers, so not just employees, all workers, say it softly, that might include Uber drivers, will soon have the right to a written statement of terms. They'll also be entitled to it from day one of their employment. At the moment, the right to a written statement of particulars of employment arises after eight weeks. From now, employees get it and workers get it on day one. The content of the written statement's been expanded, not by a lot, but by a few things. It's also got to include now how long the job will last, details of all benefits provided by the employer, and specific days and times of work. If days or hours of work are variable, details of how those hours may vary should be given. There's other changes as well. I've just given the main three additions to the written statement. Now, the proposal is designed to create transparency and clarity in working arrangements. Employers who use casual staff or zero-hour contract staff will have to think about how and why their work levels vary in order to draft these written statements accurately. Overall, clarity of terms is good news for everyone, because if terms are clear from the beginning, there's less scope for confusion, less scope for disagreement, and less scope for expensive litigation. If you've got my 20 employment policies, which you can get at www.policies2020.com, you'll see they come with two template employment law contracts, a junior employee and a senior employee. And those template employment contracts are already compliant with the new April 2020 requirements for what has to be in a written statement of particulars of employment. So that's written particulars. Number two, holiday pay. What are the April 2020 changes here? Well, at present, holiday pay is calculated by averaging normal pay over the previous 12 weeks. From April, this changes to averaging over 52 weeks. And if a worker has less than a year's service, then the calculation period is their period of employment in complete weeks. This change makes sure that workers who have irregular working patterns aren't disadvantaged if they take their holiday at a quieter time of year when their pay would be lower. It's also beneficial to employers who might be hit with a larger holiday pay bill if a worker takes holiday immediately after a very busy period. Change number three is agency workers. Agency workers are entitled to the same pay and the same annual leave as permanent colleagues after 12 weeks work. Currently, agency workers can opt out of these equal pay rights in return for guaranteed pay between contracts. This arrangement is known as the Swedish derogation. It was originally designed to give agency workers stability between work assignments. But the Taylor Review, the Good Work Plan, found this loophole was sometimes wrongly used for workers who had few or no gaps in work and who received no equal pay either. So from April, the Swedish derogation is being abolished. All agency workers will be entitled to pay parity after 12 weeks. 
From the 6th of April this year, agencies will have to give workers a statement confirming the terms under which they work and confirming their right to equal pay. Also, by the 30th of April, not the 6th, the 30th of April, agencies must provide written confirmation to those with an existing contract containing a Swedish derogation provision, saying that the Swedish derogation will no longer apply. What does it mean? Well, employment agencies are going to need to reform their working arrangements to accommodate these changes, as well as update contracts with workers and clients. Those contractual changes are going to have a knock-on effect for employers who use agency workers and who may then wish to revisit their own working models. Change number four, IR35. This is pretty much changing day by day because the government keeps saying it's going to do things, then doesn't, then says it will, then doesn't, etc, etc. The forthcoming changes to the IR35 rules will affect medium and large businesses in the private sector. Thankfully for small businesses, you'll be unaffected by these changes. A company will qualify as medium or large if it ticks at least two of these three boxes. So if you tick at least two of these three boxes, these changes affect you. Box one, you have an annual turnover of more than £10.2 million. Box two, you have a balance sheet total of more than £5.1 million. And box three, you have more than 50 employees. The IR35 tax rules are aimed at making sure that where a contractor who provides their services through an intermediary, often their own limited company, where that contractor would be considered to be an employee if the intermediary wasn't used, then that contractor is subject to broadly the same tax and national insurance contributions as employees. So in anticipation of these changes, you should audit your arrangements with existing contractors and make an assessment of which full or could fall within the scope of the rules about deemed employment. Remember that genuinely self-employed contractors will be unaffected. The key question is, would this contractor be classed as an employee if you contracted with them directly as opposed to via the intermediary? And if the contractor is a deemed employee, so if they would be classed as an employee if you contracted with them directly, if they are a deemed employee, the fee payer, that's you, will need to account for national insurance contributions and tax and make payroll deductions. The fee payer is actually whoever pays the intermediary. So it could be you as the client or it might be another party such as a recruitment agency if there's somebody else in the chain. So change number one, written particulars of employment. Change number two, holiday pay. Change number three, agency workers. Four is IR35. Change number five is bereavement leave. Now, I'm only going to touch on this really quickly because I'm covering bereavement leave in more detail in next week's episode. From April, all parents are entitled to two weeks paid bereavement leave upon the death of a child under 18. And the new regulations... Allow a parent to take either one or two weeks paid leave. The two weeks can be separate. They don't have to be together. The leave is paid at the lower of £151.20 a week or 90% of salary. The notice provisions are quite unpleasantly onerous given the circumstances, but most 
businesses would allow a reasonable amount of paid time off anyway in these circumstances, frankly probably paid at a higher rate, so this new right won't actually make a difference to most good employers. It will mainly bite against the employers who would be reluctant to allow somebody two weeks paid leave upon the death of a child, and I suspect there aren't that many employers who would take that view nowadays. If you've bought my model policies at policies2020.com, you'll see that the family-friendly policy now covers bereavement leave. And some other stuff. The government's considering some other changes but hasn't yet announced implementation dates or published legislation. These include a points-based visa system affecting employers' ability to hire overseas workers. They include making employers pass tips and service charges to workers in full without deduction. They include the right to request a more predictable contract after 26 weeks casual work. They include extending redundancy protection for women on maternity leave until six months after the end of maternity leave. And they include the right to be accompanied at a disciplinary or grievance hearing by anybody, not just a trade union rep or a workplace colleague. The impact of that would be to weaken unions' representation and membership within workplaces, and I suspect that's never going to happen. Thank you very much for listening. Next week's episode is, as I've said, on bereavement leave. If you'd like to subscribe to these podcasts, please do so. You can do it at www.danielbarnett.co.uk slash podcast. If you haven't looked yet at www.policies2020.com, please have a look. You can download 20 clean, modern HR policies there, plus two template employment contracts plus various other goodies, including a copy of my brand new book on changing terms and conditions. Thank you for listening. I'm Daniel Barnett. Bye-bye. Any information on this podcast is for general guidance only. Always seek legal advice. Please see full terms at www.danielbarnett.co.uk forward slash podcast terms.